0: In your faithfulness and righteousness come to my reward. Do not bring my servant into me. No one lives. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant.
1: If you could turn with me to page 8 in your bulletins, right there in the sermon section of the bulletin, and hold your place there. I'll make reference to it in just a second. As we begin a new series today, a new teaching series, let's first start off by praying. Let's pray together. We need you, Holy Spirit, for this time not to be in vain need you to come with resurrection power giving life to the deadness that remains in our hearts our souls we need you to help us to see Jesus for who he is we need you to help us to believe your promises we need you to pry open those parts of our hearts that remain sort of shut off to you out of resistance or hardness of heart we all have those areas we really need you God so please come Holy Spirit Son and Father be present in this time bless your word, bless the preaching of your word, bless the hearing and the living out of your word, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's that back to school time of year again, back to school, and as a kid, of course, it was always a real bummer for summer vacation to end, and I don't know about you, but for me back to school was also an exciting time of year. Uh, you got to come back and wear your new pair of shoes maybe that you recently got. Got to show off your new lunchbox. I remember, I remember uh, upgrading from this old beat up Dukes of Hazard metal lunchbox that I used for a number of years to a red Transformers plastic So that was an innovation at this time, plastic lunch box with a thermos and being so proud, uh, so joyful to show this thing off. An exciting time of year, exciting to find out who was in your class, who'd be sitting next to you for the year, how much the other kids grew over the summer. I remember some boys would walk in four inches taller than they were at the beginning of summer. I'm Asian, so I'd come back sporting my half-inch growth spurt, right? Uh, not much by comparison, but an exciting time to see old and new friends back to school. It's an exciting time, and it still is, even now, and even for a church. After a lot of travel throughout the summer, a lot of our members, a lot of you are now back, getting into the groove in the fall. Welcome back. Some of you look taller? No. Some of you are new to the area and maybe are brand new to the church, recently moved into town maybe, maybe looking for a new church home. Welcome to you. Some of you, perhaps, don't identify as a Christian yourself, but this time of year is often when people start fresh, even embark on a new spiritual journey. That might be your story. If so, welcome. To you too. And so in light of these new beginnings, this sense of a fresh start in the fall back to school, so today, starting today, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what makes Grace Meridian Hill, this church, tick. little study on the vision of our church looking at a few themes from the Bible that serve as a foundation for who we're trying to be and what we're trying to do as a church. If you notice there in your bulletin we have listed out for you the vision and mission statements of the church you'll notice there, if you look along with me, our mission is to build a gospel community that is spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood-centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, and beyond. A mission statement that we've been working through over the last couple of years of this church's existence. A mission which God has been blessing by his grace to our joy. I want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks to not just learn and know this mission and vision statement, whether if you're a committed member or if you are new to the church, to learn it, but more than learn it, to please pray over it. It's why this series is being entitled, uh, Praying Our Vision. Uh, Let's pray over these things that we are, by God's grace, aspiring to do and aspiring to become as a community here in this city, in this neighborhood. Uh, What does this mean, though? What is this mission, really? If you break it all down, we're going to look at a different component each over the next couple of weeks but today we're gonna focus on one phrase one of the first phrases you find there and that is gospel community we're committed to growing to being to becoming with the help of God a gospel community what does that mean briefly gospel community it means that everything we are and everything we do as a church is shaped by the gospel, which is the true story that Jesus lived and died and rose again to make all things new, starting with me and you. That we are sinners saved by grace. That is our core identity in this church and everything else is an outgrowth from there. Gospel community also means being a place where we're learning to say with passion and even simplicity, we love you, Jesus. We love you. Have you said that to him lately? Because of all that he's been for you. The cross and resurrection, a place where we're learning to worship. Not just learn, but learning to worship with joy and awe and power and truth. Gospel community, it also means becoming a place where lives are changing because of the grace of God. There are lots of testimonies of the power of Jesus here in this room. Whether if you've found christ or been found by him or if you're just starting on that journey we could tell stories on and on and so forth and maybe today over lunch might be the beginning of the sharing of some of those stories of ways that god has been changing your life gospel community means being a place where many many people can testify i'm not who i used to be hallelujah where people experience the power of forgiveness, where people experience the freedom of Christ from the powers of addiction, where people are healed of their wounds. Gospel community means we're building not just an institution or an organization, but a real-life community of people in authentic relationships with one another, people doing real life with all of its challenges, even uglinesses, together. People with brotherly and sisterly affection for each other. People that are learning to be a spiritual family. People that are growing in deep, mutually dependent, committed, willing to be inconvenienced, sacrificial, joyful friendships with each other a place where people aren't just being consumers but are signed up to be contributors sacrificial givers to community employing the incredible gifts that God has given each and every single one of you the ways in which you can too love and serve and be the body of Christ with all its appendages and different body parts apart from which we could not be a whole body because we need you. Gospel community means turning to the person around you and saying always and in so many ways, I need you. Gospel community means a place where honest, broken people are being transformed by the grace of of Jesus where grace begins to set us free from all that Washington DC pretending and hiding getting rid of all those I'm put together mass and facades of trying to sound smart trying to sound straight trying to sound like you've got it all figured out a place where the grace of God gives us freedom to just be your true self because that's the very broken true sinful self that Jesus died for and loved and still loves so you can just open it all up and let it all hang out and be the real me weak broken needy mediocre Depressed, lost, helpless, scared, ordinary, real. A place where we're letting go of our reputations because we're secure in Christ's unchanging love. Don't you want to be a community like that? Don't you want to discover a place like that? It almost feels untrue, unreal. Could it be possible? Maybe you're jaded and cynical. Maybe you feel like I've given it a shot or I've hoped for it and my hopes were dashed. Maybe today's call to you is to hope all over again. Not in the possibility of humanity by our own human power constructing such a thing, but God, by his grace, which is why we call it gospel community, supernaturally, he being the originator and the power behind this sort of peoplehood, this sort of experience of church. But here's one more, one more. A gospel community is what? It's a family that's growing in faith and learning the joy and the power of prayer because one of the greatest and most significant and juiciest fruit of all of a people that are really getting tackled by the unfailing love of God and the transforming power of His grace are people that are willing to admit that they need help, which is the heart of prayer? And people that are encountering the beauty and the dependability of God. That we would habitually reach out to him and ask things of him. Most of all, that we would ask him for more of him. That prayer would become just a part of breathing. Ordinary life, which is supernatural life. In prayer, do you realize that one of the greatest fruits, most central fruits of the gospel touching down in a church is that it begins to explode even in little ways with vibrancy and prayer. Psalm 143, which is a psalm, a sort of song prayer in the Old Testament, is a wonderful little piece that teaches us a few things about prayer. We won't linger here too long. We'll move through it fairly quickly. But just to stoke up with some poetical language how the gospel ignites fresh motivation to believe and trust in God and to pray individually in community, in gospel community. I want you to notice in this passage just how bold this prayer is. More than 13 times, the author of this psalm, this prayer, which is King David, he wrote it. More than 13 times, he asks God to do something. Uh, he he tells god he's almost issuing commands right off the bat verse 1 lord hear my prayer listen to my cry come to my relief verse 7 answer me quickly Do not hide your face from me. Verse 8, show me the way I should go. Verse 9, rescue me from my enemies. Verse 10, teach me to do your will. Lead me on level ground. Verse 11, preserve my life. Bring me out of trouble. Destroy all my foes. All right, bossy pants. I mean, how bold is this? And you could say that the author here is just pushing prayer to the point of presumption. Who you think you are to be talking to God like that? Except when we recognize that David knows that God has made covenant with him. In fact, throughout the psalm, he refers to God as my God because you know when you are in relationship with God through Christ God has arranged this inviolable covenant this promise protected bond that seals him to you and you to him that you could even use language like my God because God now belongs to you because he's given himself to you in that sort of way he has said ask of me anything you want and I'll do it for you my daughter my son ask boldly ask freely ask almost demandingly but ask as a child and I'll hear it with a father's Pair of ears, you see. Because children ask big things and many things, and believe me, non stop things of their parents. Because they know their parent loves them, they assume that. They're secure in love. And because they believe their parent can do anything. And God says, trust in me like that. And come with the boldness of a child. Just pushing that point of presumption. Confidently and securely saying, God, I know. I know you can do all things, and I know that you tell me just to ask. You see, because David isn't bold because he's so great, he's not bold because he thinks he's entitled to these things in this self-centered sort of way. He's bold because he believes God is so great. Because, see, everything he asks for here is grounded in God's great character. Again, right off from the start. Verse 1, Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy. Why? On what basis in your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief Because of your proven character, because of the countless ways in which I have seen you, says David, work through the history of Israel since the time of creation, keeping your promises, working for your people's good. Yes, even through trials and hardships. And that we can look back and see through the lens of Christ and say, you have only done good to me even when it's hurt. When it's hurt, if God has been for me, who can be against me? Again in verse 11, for your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. Which is another way of saying, do it not to make me look great, But to make you look great, uphold your public reputation, God, in doing this for me. Have you prayed that recently? God, answer this prayer and work in my life in such a way that everyone would see how great you are. Have you prayed that recently? For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. Verse 12, in your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Our boldness is grounded in the great character of God and our relationship to him as a father. Do you realize how you pray reveals everything about what you really believe about who God is? You can hear it, you can see it in your prayers. Do you pray boldly? Do you pray as unto a God who's worth praying so boldly unto? But Secondly, when you notice not just how bold this prayer is, can you notice also how broken this prayer is? How broken David is as he almost limps, I mean, probably literally, as he seems to be limping in to the presence of God, having been pursued and chased by literal enemies. Not an uncommon scenario in King David's life. You see this sense of helplessness that makes up the heart of prayer. I mean, you realize you only go to God when you can first admit that you can't fix it, right? The first step of prayer is owning helplessness, which is precisely why most of us stink at this. Because <laughs> we don't want to go there. Oh, come on, I can, I, I can do it. I can figure this out. I can make the money thing work. I can make myself happier. I can find better relationships. I can save myself, atone for my sin, get rid of this guilt. I can make the world a better place. Not completely. I didn't say completely, but a little bit. The first step in prayer is to give up. To go to God. Because prayer really at heart is gospel breathing. It's exhaling, I can't. And then inhaling, but Lord, you can. Because you will never go to the place of prayer without confessing either one of those, if not both of those things. I can't, Lord, you can. David comes in great helplessness in verse 3. Here he says, My enemy, he makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me, which can be translated something like, I'm ready to give up. My heart within me is dismayed. Answer me quickly, Lord, verse 7. My spirit fails. This is desperate prayer. Verse 3 puts it this way, The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground, he makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. As one commentator said about these verses, every phrase here is so heavy with distress. None need feel alone or less than fully understood. If you could just take these words into your soul, some of you can probably say, yeah, this actually is what it feels like today. I feel this desperate, I feel this... Hurt, I feel this out of resources and answers. I feel ready to throw the towel in. David is showing us that that is the perfect place to begin to pray. That that is fertile soil from which the vibrancy of trusting prayer can begin to grow David's not faking nothing at this point is he he's being really really honest as the grace of God frees us to be it ain't working out I feel like I'm dying here have you said that to God lately there's a certain transparency that David has here He's writing this as a corporate prayer, you know, it's being sung now by the whole church, though it was most likely written as a personal prayer and song before God. It's almost this little mini lesson. We all talk about wanting transparency in community, of being able to share freely, of being able to just be an open book one to another. Everyone wants that, as long as it's safe to be that way with each other. Everyone longs for that. Do you understand, though, community transparency begins with transparency before God? If you're not opening wide your heart and being naked before your Savior and saying, this is what it really looks like in here, this is what it really feels like in here, save me, if you're not doing that with Him, how are you ever gonna feel safe enough to do that with other people? to invite them into the dark recesses of your life, to be honest that it feels like the lights are dimming. David says here, look, you can tell God anything. And he does it with great urgency, doesn't he? Even the rhythm of the poetry adds to this sense of desperation. It's full of short, choppy phrases. I mean, it almost sounds like, if you read it out loud, it almost sounds like he's out of breath. This is the glory of the poetry that's been inspired here in the Bible. Uh, Just listen. It's like verse 1. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground, verse 3. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes. I am your servant do you feel out of breath today prayer is for you it's not only the brokenness of life it's the brokenness of a contrite heart of course that david brings before this god in verse two he says do not bring your servant into judgment for no one living is righteous before you david knows As bold as he's been, he has no human right to strut into the presence of God. If he's coming into the presence of a God of true justice and judgment, if he's walking into the king's courtroom, as it were, he'd got no chance to stand before that God. For no one living is righteous before you. He can't help but to come with a sense of deep spiritual need as well. you see gospel community as it invites us to be honest about our need for the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins? As we repent one to another, it encourages us more and more to just pray to each other and with each other about our need for grace for our sins. To say, look, I, I have hurt you and I need your forgiveness. But even before that, to say, I have hurt you and therefore I have sinned against God. Will you pray with me? I need his forgiveness. Walk with me and help me to believe that these things are true. David brings a broken heart even as he brings a bold heart before God. And dear friends, do you understand that this is a unique characteristic of Christian prayer? It's the sort of prayer that only the good news of Jesus can really bring about that at one and the same time that you could be brought to the lowest place and be shot to the highest, most exalted place simultaneously, that you could be utterly convinced that you are a wretch and a sinner deserving judgment, but because of Christ who has forgiven you and granted you his righteousness, you know that you're also exalted and seated with him as a son, as a daughter, you're loved by the father so you can be bold even as you're broken and you can limp in broken even as you aspire to renewed boldness before God that is what gospel prayer in gospel community looks like do you hear it in your own prayers Sort of a mixture, this holy mixture that only God's Spirit can give you. Where you're both confident and contrite before the cross. Because it is the cross, you know, that gives us the greatest grounds of trusting in this God not just trusting in him but to entrust our lives before him as we pray as verse 8 tells us and on from there let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you show me the way I should go for to you I entrust my life Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. David already is starting to believe the ways in which God does indeed come through, the way he answers prayer, the way he's done it in the past, and the way David is sure he'll do it in the future. You you hear it in the language he's echoing, even from his own words. Uh, My spirit grows faint within me. I'm ready to give up. My spirit fails. I'm done. Look, I'm dwelling in the darkness, verse 3. It's been a long night, but verse 8, here comes the morning. It's been a long night, but here comes the morning. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. My spirit grows faint within me. My spirit even fails. Oh, but I have word of your unfailing love. Because right when you're ready to quit, and even after you've already decided to quit, you need to believe in order to pray that God never quits his love is unfailing his promises unbreaking do you know this God are you learning to trust him a trust which is forged and built not by accident And not by passing glances at God's word either, dear friends. How do you learn to trust in him this way that you might pray? Look at how David cultivated that. Verse 5, 6. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. We're called to remember the days, the hours, the minutes of God's past faithfulness. Have you done that lately? And not just extending to the prior dates of your own life, but even beyond that, all the way back to the cross of Christ to meditate on all your works the greatest of which the preeminent work of which is his finished work on the cross purchasing your salvation have you meditated on him bleeding for you and rising again for you as a way of securing trust in him Considering what God's hands have done, not only for you in personal history, but throughout all ages in human history, this is your God. Meditating and pondering and remembering and considering this work of Christ on the cross. which purchased your sonship, your daughtership, giving you the boldness that you can have, which purchased your guilt-free forgiveness that you might be the free, broken sinner saved by grace that you truly are, that you might be able to come praying with deep, honest brokenness and assured boldness simultaneously and coming as verse six encourages you to come spreading out my hands to you with palms up, thirsting for you like a parched land, like dry ground with cracks swallowing up any bit of water that comes its way. Can we be thirsty to pray like that? Can we be prostrate to pray like that grace meridian hill can we be broken and bold because of Christ in whom we trust to pray like that because that's what it means in part to be a gospel community let's pray we're asking that you would do that in our midst of jesus teach us relish in the gospel in a way that changes our life, changes our church, bears fruit. We pray this for our joy, for your glory, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's...